It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Kelly Thornton, co-founder and CEO of Teach Hanley, helping men look and feel amazing by delivering uncomplicated skincare. Kelly was born and raised in Maryland and moved to Connecticut to finish up high school, where he started his first entrepreneurial pursuit in house paint. With those savings, he financed his college tuition at the University of Connecticut, where he met his future business partner and co-founder, Rob Huxy. Kelly started his career as a sales representative in the point-of-purchase display and packaging industry, following in his dad's footsteps. A few years into his career, he was tasked with developing a Chicago presence for his employer, which later became part of International Paper. After a successful 20-year career in corporate America, he left the industry to found PurchasePoint that helped CPG companies think differently about their in-store merchandising platforms. He grew that business very quickly with global customers such as Unilever, Mars Wrigley, Bayer, and Pfizer. Through his experience at Purchase Point, Kelly found this rapidly growing men's care industry inspiring. Tease Hanley was formed in 2015 and now has over 500,000 customers worldwide delivering uncomplicated skincare for men. Kelly Thornton, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Appreciate you having me. Uh, great, great to have you here. And we've had a couple of conversations be, uh, between the time we met. I'm so excited to talk about your products. And you've just had such an incredible career going into two or three different sectors. So we'll want to track that a little bit before we get to Tej Henley and talk a little bit more about what you're doing there. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about you know where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Maryland. Um, and, uh, Maryland's a beautiful place. I don't know. It's a small state and I don't see many people from Maryland here being in the Midwest, but, uh, it's a great place to grow up. You know, it's on the water, Chesapeake Bay, the influence of that and boating and beach life at Ocean City, Maryland, Rehoboth, Delaware. Um, are you a big and, sailor? Did, did you enjoy the water life when you were there? Yes, actually. We, I, my father and mother had a, a, a you know, a sizable, um, uh, Columbia 35 foot boat. Nice. We, we were on the water a lot. Um, I think it did have something to do with leading to my parents' divorce, which, mm. um, you know, was, uh, both traumatic, but played an important part of my formation as a, as a child. But, um, Maryland's beautiful and, and, uh, you know, it gets nice seasons and it has a nice, you know, downtown and the waterfront. And I, I really loved it, but my parents split up as I mentioned. And, um, 
I ended up making my way eventually to Connecticut as you, as you do. Brothers and sisters, Kelly, or only child? Yeah, I have, I have uh, two half sisters and one full sister and um, I'm very blessed to have a great family life. Awesome. Awesome. And, and, uh, mom and dad, what kind of work do they pursue, uh, while you were growing up? Yeah. My father was in, uh, sales in the corrugated packaging and display business his entire career. And he's uh, deceased about five years, but he had a, a very, very good career selling, uh, displays, point of purchase displays and packaging. And um, was definitely an inspiration on the sales side. And the I grew up side. as a brand manager at Procter and Gamble. I'm sure I probably bought some of those products oh, over the years. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Did mom work, or was she focusing on the kids at home? Mom did work. Uh, that's a great question, um, and I like the way you, you phrase it. I mean, not only was she a good, um, you know, CFO, chief fi- family officer, mm-hmm. but um, she did, you know, she did um, as things started changing with her, my my father, she did go into real estate and she was always into antiques. And, um, and I, you know, it's interesting how that the part of her that was in antiques and, and having, you know, an antique shop and being in this kind of traveling antique show and the entrepreneurial part of that, I think played a bigger part in my formation than I realized. I, as a matter of fact, I don't think I realized it at all until maybe 10 years ago about how much that did impact me. You painted houses as a uh, as yep. a kid, as we said, yep. right? How how young did you start doing that? You know, about a junior year in high school, yeah. I did start working for a guy that had a painting company. But he, as you mentioned, being in New England, I mean, everything there is you know fairly harsh weather, yeah. not far off the coast. Clapboard houses. Everybody's house needs painting every five to ten years, and it can <laughs> it's be a, a pretty good business to be in. It's a good business to be in if you need to to make some cash. We did a great job and it was myself and about, you know, five, six other people that were college kids. And uh, before, you know, I think there was even a paint company like called College Pro Painters or something like that. But even before that started, uh, we were out painting houses through, throughout New England. It was, it was actually, you know, very prosperous and very, very disciplined, very good business for me. You said on. you moved around a little bit uh, yeah, as a kid. It, were you a good student in school, or was that hard to keep up given the change of change of schools? Yeah, I love that question. I, I was a I was a not good student, um, and I think it was because of all the distractions in my life. As a matter of fact, the reason specifically I moved to Connecticut is uh, at the end of my sophomore year. Um, I looked at. Uh, my grades and the prospect of getting into a decent or perhaps any university and realized that I needed to improve my grades dramatically. My father lived in Connecticut. He had already separated and moved to Connecticut. And, um, and, uh, I, you know, I called him up and I said, I'd, I'd really like to, to, to come and live with you and just reduce my distraction and focus on my school. He was kind enough to allow me to do that. And um, I really, really spent a lot of time catching up. It took several years to catch up, but I ended up, I ended up getting very good grades the next two years. I ended up, uh, you know, getting into after a couple tries, getting into the University of Connecticut, and um, you know, I was very grateful for, you know, having a little bit of foresight to realize that I wasn't heading in the right direction. Great public schools in Connecticut. That was a very insightful move. I. 
I know that the, some of the public schools rival some of the best private schools on the West Coast in Connecticut. Super, super good. Yeah, absolutely. There. And were you involved in sports, music, theater? Did you do anything else? Uh, yeah, you know, it was sports. It was sports yeah. that really, for the most part, kept me out of the most trouble when we were, <laughs> you know, when I was in Maryland, we were, it was lacrosse state, um, you know, very famous for lacrosse, although great lacrosse is played everywhere now. Yeah. But we played, I played lacrosse. When I moved to Connecticut, I, I, they, they didn't have it at the school that I was at. Um, so I was coaching, uh, you know, youth, very young, uh, youth lacrosse in, in Connecticut. And then I did go back to college and play a little club lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was excellent. And, and I think, you know, the, the impact of sports on, uh, men and women are, is, I, I think it's, um, way underrated. It's, it's so important, I think, to formation. And I was fortunate to be very interested in lacrosse. What do you think sports did for you? What were some of the lessons you took away during those high school and college years? Dis- di- discipline, right? Yeah. And I think I was also, my, my, my mother, before I moved to Connecticut, really had me in the swimming pool all the time. I think that was out of necessity. She wanted me to probably have something to do, a place to drop me off and pick me up. So I was, you know, swam on swimming teams and I swam competitively um, in high school. Uh, before going to Connecticut, I think, you know, his discipline and, you know, showing up and responsibility, right. And, and that mentorship that's so important yeah. uh, to, to, to young adults, you know, it's critical, um, re- really valuable. Were you four years at UConn or did you do some studies ahead of time that, you know, accredited you in or? Yeah, I, I actually probably already gave away a little bit of the story, but I, I wanted to play lacrosse in, in uh, college. So I went to Westchester University, which is in Valley Forge for uh, my freshman year. I was actually also playing catch up as I, as I mentioned. So I played lacrosse. It was a division three school, hadn't played in three years. And I was able to walk on and make the team nice and make a starting role. Um, I did get into the University of Connecticut as a freshman, but I didn't get into their main campus. So my goal was to play a little lacrosse and continue working on my grades. I ended up my sophomore year going to Western Connecticut, uh, which was in Danbury, Connecticut, because my father got ill uh, in the summer before my sophomore year, so mm. I wanted to be at home. And uh, and then I, I spent a year at Western Connecticut and uh, ended up um, being able to get into UConn and going up to the main campus. So that's what I did. So it, it very fortuitous question, Brant, because I did, um, it took me several years to play catch up and, and finally get to where I needed to be. Must have been fun going to school at UConn. You know, we, we talked before the podcast about how I spent two, three years kind of, you know, volunteer, volunteered during COVID, <laughs> you know, requiting there. And of course, met quite a few folks and got a chance to attend some of the basketball games. And what a great campus experience that must have been. Did you, did you live on campus or community? I did. I, I loved it. I had a really good time. And, um, you know, it was un- unfortunately football wasn't very good, but um, basketball was. Um, I didn't have any type of exposure prior to the, U- the University of Connecticut to, you know, what a school that has, um, you know, has premier, premier quality athletics, you know, top, you know, nationwide uh, competitive uh, athletics and the University of Connecticut had a great basketball team. You know, it was just such an important part of my um, college uh, career. And um, most importantly, um, the most important thing I ended up meeting, um, 
you know, my, my wife, uh, there at the University of Connecticut. And, uh, you know, it was just meant to be, I just met a great person there. And so it was, a, it was an all around a plus experience. You got your economics degree. And then what was that first job you took coming out of school? Yeah. Right into sales. I, my father, you know, I, I wanted to be in sales and I wanted to be, you know, a, in a technical cell. I wanted to go into, um, like, you know, computer software interview with IBM didn't get in there, but I got into national cash register. Um, they were making like POS systems for, you know, your chain, um, uh, stores like the, you know, chain restaurants like TGI Friday. They were the leader in that. They were the leader. Yes, absolutely. Um, but my father, I I took me an extra semester because of that story I just told you to graduate. So I went to UConn, uh, for a total of five semesters, not, not four. And, um, I was in, I was in New Jersey. My father just moved to New Jersey. I was there over Christmas and he said to me, you know, you never asked to interview in the packaging and display business. And I said, <laughs> I it didn't even dawn on me. I had already accepted with NCR out of uh, Connecticut and, um, and I interviewed and they were going to pay me like $18,000 in 1990. Um, and you know, with a, a small sale sales kicker for maybe a thousand or two more. And his company offered me 27,000, not his company, but the company he worked for. And, and I was just like very, very, very motivated early on, uh, with the concept of making money, very, very motivated. And I, I just, you know, wasn't even a a question. I called the NCR people back. They were not happy at all. (laughs) I, I do actually regret that, but, um, I called them back and I, I said, I'm not take I'm not coming up to Hartford in January. I'm going to stay here in New Jersey and work um, for a packaging company. And that's what I did. Yeah. And it was crazy. <laughs> How long did you stay in that industry? 18, 19 years. Wow. I was, wow. it was crazy. That, 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 that company that I worked for was owned by a French man. Um, and it was just, it was in Newark, New Jersey. It was absolute wild, wild west. I mean, it was bananas. The stuff that was going on there. Um, you know, people smoking in small windowless offices, <laughs> cars being stolen out of a gated parking lot, uh, downtown Newark, you know, a prison right next door to us, <laughs> airplanes going overhead, you know, it was just, it was just bananas. I mean, in the backroom deals that were being cut, um, on commission and fighting over accounts. Um, it was, and, and it, dad was still working at the same time. Was that, he did, uh, you know, yeah. I ended up, there were six of us that got uh, put in the same sales training program. Um, there was two of us left a year and a half later and, um, we, the two that were left, we both got fired and, and it was, um, and we had solid sales. It was a very, um, probably undescribable uh firing i don't want to say exactly what happened because it wasn't it wasn't very pretty and a lot mm-hmm. of nasty words were used but um an, a, another family a company a, uh independent company owned by the edelmans out of new york um were also in the packaging business and they uh just opened a brand new display and packaging plant in south jersey mm. um and after a year and a half i ended up uh the, you know, getting fired in August of 91, I went right to the Edelman's and, um, they were, they were smart. They were super smart guys and a lot of respect for them. Um, they eventually, I was 18 years there. They got purchased by 
a company called Union Camp and then International Paper. And so the majority of my time was with International Paper. Right. But the Edelmans had, they had just started a company and I was, I had decent sales. I could definitely carry my own, but they wanted my father. Um, and so they grabbed me and it took them another like eight months to get, get my father. <laughs> they were very, very smart. Um, and, uh, so my father and I continued to work together at that company for another, you know, I was there 10, uh, 18, 17 years. My, my father was there probably 10, 12 years before I retired. Yeah. Awesome. And leadership responsibilities early on, Kelly, did they give you, you know, management or were you mostly, uh, you know, carrying the bag for those first few years? Tell us how you kind of made that transition to working with people. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I ended up, um, I ended up picking up some accounts of, uh, the president. His name was Andrew Edelman, wonderful man. And, um, I ended up, uh, having a little bit of my own accounts and most of them were in New York, New York and Manhattan and Brooklyn. And I ended up, um, I ended up carrying the bag for him. I, I very well put, um, Brant, I ended up working with him at some of his accounts. One was Philip Morris in New York City. And at the time they were buying, um, tens and tens of millions of dollars of in-store display. Um, it mostly up, behind Marlboro, probably a hundred percent. Yeah. The, the Marlboro Those are cash cow. Yeah. And, um, he, you know, I lived right outside of New York, even though the, the, the office was down South, uh, Jersey. And so he had me going in every day to help him manage that account. Um, and they, at the kind of drop of a dime ended up deciding to change where they were purchasing uh their in-store display they they were connected with leo burnett um a world famous chicago advertising agency on wacker drive and um they were connected with leo burnett who had their was their agency a record and they asked andy if i would go to chicago to continue to support their display business mm -hmm. but work with leo burnett and andrew uh was very smart. He said, laughing as he patted me on the shoulder, um, I want you to go to Chicago. I, I didn't think he was serious. Um, but then the second or third time he did that, I realized I didn't have a job unless I was going to move. And so <laughs> off to Chicago, I went. Got it. And that was, uh, after it was purchased by international paper. No, we still had a little bit to go. Um, yeah. that was still back in the 93, it was called Phoenix display. Um, and it was one of uh, his family's company was National Packaging. They had about ten or eight or ten plants, and the one I worked for was Phoenix. In 1996 or seven, it was bought. Uh, Edelman sold that plant to Union Camp, yeah. uh, and then and then a year later, International Paper bought them. How'd that transition go, Kelly? Because you know sometimes folks don't stay on long, and it looks like that was only about halfway through your career at that stage. Yeah, you know. That is what, that's an interesting question because they were, Union Camp was very smart. I was actually shocked. They did not touch us. Um, I think because we were probably, Union Camp was more of a brown box company. Um, the company I worked for was value added packaging and display. Right. So they were selling stuff at, at that time, they were probably selling, you know, boxes at, in the 30, $30 per ton finished. Um, we went, we were probably selling for 180 a ton finished, wow. um, you know, decorated displays. And they didn't touch us for a long time. It wasn't until several years later after International Paper bought us because International Paper had a, a packaging division that was like making golf ball sleeves and 
and primary or secondary packaging for like ponds, cold cream. And um, they, they tucked us in with them and, and things started getting serious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so long career there. What made mm-hmm. you kind of make that transition? I think you did your first entrepreneurial, uh, well, not counting the house painting, but your first corporate entrepreneurial after leaving an entrepreneurial. Is that correct? With, with Purchase yeah. Point? Yeah. So I loved the design aspect. We, so I spent a lot of time in manufacturing. We designed um, in-store displays and, you know, we really helped the, our customers were big global CPGs. Right. We're talking about Unilevers and PNGs, just as you mentioned. Yeah. I really enjoyed the design element and understanding how marketing was done with these CPG companies and how our in-store displays really supported primarily like new product launches and things like that. But it's always about getting secondary, more, you know, more product into the store and secondary location in the store. I love that. But the manufacturing side, I didn't really like as much. So I started mm-hmm. an, an agency called Purchase Point and we just worked on the, the research and design research, meaning why people buy and what made them motivated them to buy and then creating designs that drove additional conversion of product at retail. And it was very successful. I had, you know, about 50 people in offices in Taiwan and London and um, here in the U.S. And I really enjoyed that business. I just didn't make any money on it. which yeah. sucked. Well, you know, it's funny. It brings back my P&G, you know, brand manager days. I worked on a number of brands. One of them was uh, Folgers Instant Coffee back when oh, you yeah. know, Procter and, and Unilever, both in the food business, neither of them anymore. But I remember shippers. Now, does that ring a bell? You know, the cardboard, Absolutely. you know, constructed product. That's Those it. things would sell four to five times what you would normally get on shelves, you know, sales because where do they put them? At the end of the aisle, right? Where everybody goes by. And I'll tell you, when those things, when those things would open up, we would, as brand members, we would love those things because it was just such an amazing, you know, volume builder. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's a game. And the thing that I wanted to tackle with Purchase Point was try to create more measurement and more data around what works mm. and what didn't work. Was it yeah. simply the location or was it there was a great picture of, you know, fill in the blank? Um, Whoever, you know, Andre Agassi at the time, right, um, right. you know, was drinking Folgers or whatever the case may be. Did And I was trying to create measurement and discipline about, um, s- about how displays sold product um, so that we could go back to you guys, the brand managers, and help them make better decisions about how to spend money on in-store yeah. display. Yeah. Um, that was the whole premises of the business. Now, did you sell that business or move on? Tell us about that transition because yeah, we're coming up next on uh, Tease and Handling. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't sell it, actually. I, I tried. Um, I started Tease Handling as a side hustle. Mm. And, and what happened was, and, and I, I started it's not even the right terminology. I was, we had a ton of business with Unilever and we were traveling around the globe really understanding personal products for men, right? Their Dove Plus Men's Care, they hadn't even launched that yet. Axe, they had just launched Axe in North America. They were trying to understand how males were buying shampoo and conditioner and, and face, facial care and um, deodorant products and stuff like that. We were trying to help them at Purchase Point, help them understand how guys were shopping at retail. Mm. We were looking at them globally. So that like, I just saw an explosion of male grooming products in Asia. I've spent a lot of time in, in Southeast Asia and you know China and I, Unilever is just they're just so good at marketing as P&G is and 
Um, and, and so I just wrote down this kind of executive summary of, of the T. Shamley business around how to educate guys around skincare and bring it online um, because I, I felt like it was so difficult. They're, they're, guys are not shopping and they're sure as hell not going to store to look for, you know, a facial moisturizer. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I, I wrote that up and, and I gave that to, uh, you know, it's probably about a 10 page summary and I gave it to one of my college roommates, uh, from UConn and also at, he not only was from UConn, but he went to the, L, uh, high school in Connecticut that I did. I met him there. So prior to UConn. And he was just out of Motorola and he had, he had a little bit of an exit and he was kind of on the bench. And I said, Hey Rob, do you want to take a look at this, uh, this executive summary I've written here? I think there's something to it. He knew nothing about skincare, although ironically he was at PNG his first year or two. Um, and, uh, he, he was like, man, there, there probably is something here. Like I'm not a dude that's into all this, but I think there, I think you've got a good case here. So, um, we started kind of noodling around with it and, and we, we launched in 2015, we launched a version of T-Shan. Yeah. Where's the name come from? Family, right okay. out of the family Bible. Yeah. We just literally just picked it right out of our uh, family Bible and it's, it was handwritten in the back and it's from the 1400s and wow. County Cork up in Kanaka, a Providence above uh, Galway. That's where it's from. And they're two family names. Is that it? They're two. Actually, first name, last name. First name, last name. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Correct. So, uh, tell us a little bit about where the business is today. So you, you, you know, proved the concept, obviously mm -hmm. you, you certainly had the packaging connections <laughs> to yeah. put that together. You yeah. know, how did things kind of get launched and, and, you know, wh where has that gone over these last eight years? Well, it's been, it's been a marvelous success. I yeah. mean, I just, you know, I'm uber fortunate uh with this business and um i i feel like the other businesses were um kind of the minor leagues to this i i have i got very very lucky rob and i reached out to a male grooming influencer might mm. sound kind of weird it was definitely weird in 2015 we reached out to him and we, we launched in 15 but it was it, it was a similar business concept uh, but we were selling other people's product, kind of like you know other people's product. You could get, they were they were highly curated products that I saw overseas, but you could find them if you're a savvy consumer. Um, and uh, it didn't really work very well, primarily because you could you could you know but you could buy the products. Um, and we reached out to a guy who was on YouTube, and he was huge at the time. He had like five six hundred thousand followers, which seemed like incomprehensible because we didn't know anything about youtube in 2015 yeah. and he was talking about like what to wear like he was like a style guy like how to wear your tie and your pocket square and how to work <laughs> out and how to have proper etiquette for like asking a girl on a date or you know all this stuff and um he was his name's aaron marino he's a brilliant business guy and brilliant content creator and he has a he has a channel called alpha m um which is what I just described to you and yeah, um, alpha and male. It, yeah. And it grew to, it grew to, you know, I don't even, I haven't looked at it in a very long time, but it's, it's probably over 700, seven, seven million, seven million followers. Um, and he's, he, you know, and he's just, um, he's just been brilliant. You know, he really understands, you know, modern male and, um, helped us create the version of T Shanley we have now, which is a subscription routine based, skincare company. 
Yeah, cool. And um, the uh, product development side of it, did you have resources for that as well? I mean, how did you kind of get started? And, and by the way, we we had this discussion a couple of moments ago. Uncomplicated skin care for men is your selling idea. I mean, it is so brilliant because any man who has been confused by it or has had to have girlfriends or wives that try to educate them about it. And after they saw five or six bottles said, forget this, I'm exactly. never going to go there. That is such an attractive idea. I mean, it, it pulled me right in. Yeah, thank you. That And that actually is the problem we were solving. Yeah. And when I was in right. Europe, I mean, and when I was in, in with Purchase Point in Asia, I mean, it was just the amount of decisions were overwhelming. I was like going in the stores asking for stuff, doing research. Hey, it, I, was, I, I was just so confused by everything. <laughs> so we just want to make it simple at Tiege. Um, we just put a couple moisturizers, face wash, some scrubs. And then we have some like more, you know, we have some more um, sophisticated anti-aging products. But the whole thesis was um, just make it simple, put Keep a few simple. products yeah. and, and make it a routine. You get up in the morning, you wash your face with a very high quality uh, face wash. Yeah, you, put an, you put a moisturizer on in the morning, uh, no matter where you live. Certainly, if you live in a sunny place, we have, a, we have an SPF uh, moisturizer that, we, that everybody um, uses that buys our products. And um, at night, you, you repeat, you know, you wash your face before you go to bed, you brush your teeth, you wash your face, you put a moisturizer on. So while you're sleeping at night, your, your skin can, can really rejuvenate itself. And that, it's that simple. You use a scrub, um, you know, a couple of days of, of the week and, uh, and you're good to go. And, and we have about 500,000 customers to date. And, wow. and every single day, and I, I mean this, every day we get either written or, or audio testimonial uh, from, from our customers about how their skin looks better. Um, and because we have great products. So you were so kind to, to send me some samples. I think I, I mentioned before, we just got them a few days ago and I've shared it with my girlfriend. She's like, we've got to get started on this. You know, like, I'm a little apprehensive. So I was yeah. really looking forward to talking with you about it because, you know, it's just not something men do. Right. And, no. and it's, it's just like, you know, educating them about how to do it. And, and thank you for taking such a simple approach. I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. So product development though. So where did you, did you have sources for that? Did you you kind of, yeah. Tell us how that developed. Yeah. I mean, we just, I'm telling you, we were really, really, really lucky Brant. early on. Um, we had called Aaron and he was very interested in talking to us. We, we actually wanted him to pitch, um, our version one on his YouTube channel. So we wanted him to pitch it. We wanted to pay him money for content. And he said, you know, I really want to be a partner in this business. Save your, save your money and make me a partner. Wow. Um, and so Rob and I, I rewrote the business plan. He, there was a couple other changes to the business he wanted. And I said, that sounds really smart. Let me rewrite the executive summary and parts of the business plan to reflect these changes. And we'll come down to Atlanta where you're from and we'll talk about it. Um, and it was about a, a month later that this meeting was about to happen. The same time Rob was playing golf in Connecticut and he'd known this gentleman in his golf club for a long time. And this gentleman was a 30 year, um, skincare chemist in Connecticut and he developed, um, skincare products for, you know, the best, um, beauty brands, you know, you name it, uh, out of New York. Um, and he agreed for a very, very small, a few points in the business, he agreed to, to develop our products. Formula. Nice. We got really, really lucky. We knew nothing. And he developed, um, it's pretty amazing when you give somebody an opportunity to do what they love to do and you don't 
put any handcuffs on him because we, <laughs> we didn't know we didn't know anything um, what they come up with, and he just came up with outstanding products. And to this day, we really lean into product innovation. That's thanks your formulation, to, yeah, yeah, Cooper. So you mentioned five hundred thousand users, and I assume that's global because your business is all online. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Cool. And and how many employees today? Um, pr- probably north of forty. Nice, something like that. Nice yeah. and dispersed as well, globally or nationally. Actually, no. Um, I've gone the other way with this company. I really want. Um, we even a lot. Uh, most of COVID, you know, t- t- to the degree that it was that it made sense and was safe for everybody, we were in the office, and so we, we have a three-two hybrid um, working policy that yeah. works really, really well. We we have some remote work, uh, some remote people that have been with us for. For Waltz, including Fadi, our, our chief product officer, I mentioned earlier, but um, most everybody's here in Chicago. Yeah, cool. H- how has your leadership, to, you know, kind of um, evolved over time since those early days in the paper business? Yeah, my leadership or my leadership team. <laughs> your your one? style. <laughs> oh man, it's it's gone all over the place. I think, um, you know, when I was younger, I was much more of an asshole um and really didn't know what i was doing and that's uh, a pretty common you know consequence i have to say yeah. with youth. <laughs> thank you shouldn't feel bad about that kelly thank you thank you <laughs> yeah um didn't eat enough humble pie um made a lot of mistakes you know i'm i'm definitely and i think well covid had this impact on all of us right i mean i think like you know covid really really changed management style um i think you know that in a mixture of uh you know kind of millennial thinking um gen z or gen whatever the new one is um i you know i think covid really forced us to to think about our management style and being you know a lot more in tune to employees lives um being much more you know empathetic um, to things that people are, you know, challenges that they were facing. Um, I think that change, I think the the change that COVID brought to management, um, was really for the better. Um, so I, you know, I'm a much, a much more compassionate leader. Um, but much more flexible leader, um, but more require more accountability. Company culture, you know, drives so much success today, you know, and I see it in my business and recruiting and, and really how the qualifications, you know, are kind of the jacks are better to play. But, you know, are they going to mm-hmm. fit well with that hiring manager? Do You know, do they like the same kind of things that others do? What, what's kind of most unique or, or perhaps unusual about the Tish Hanley culture? Well, <laughs> we, we spend an inordinate, inordinate amount of time on culture. Um, and at first, you know, way back in the day, I thought it was like, you know, how many snacks could we have and like what kind of coffee <laughs> we could have. Is and, the foosball table working? Yeah, does the food, I, exactly, precisely. And um, that that is not company culture. I mean, that certainly helps build a concept of what the company's about, but it, it's not about, that doesn't, it doesn't translate into culture and mission. Um, we, you know, we have a very succinct, um, you know, uh, seven, 
seven core values at the company. Pretty much, I think everybody's got them memorized because we talk about them every day. Um, there's, there's chat, you know, in some of our software programs we use to communicate like Teams and Ascendi and Slack. We're talking about core values every single day. The managers use them every day. Every review that we do is based on core values. Every interview that we do is based on core values, matching person's core values. Um, everything, you know, it's every day. It's every single day we talk about our seven core values. Love it. And, and what do you specifically look for when you interview folks or making bets on the people you're going to invest in and hire at T. Hanley? Yeah. Well, that's a loaded question. I know since you you know the business extremely well. Um, you know, I think, I mean, certainly cultural fit is really critical. Um, I think that, um, you know, the size of the company that we are and where the person came from, um, in addition to hard skills, um, and is, is really important in addition to, in addition to cultural fit. So for instance, bringing someone from PNG to T. Shanley, um, just won't work. Yeah. Um, it just won't work. Uh, it, it, it's just too significant of of a difference. So, from anybody that's coming from a very corporate structure, um, you know, need for speed is one of our one of our core values. Um, we just go a lot faster than most people in larger corporations are used to. Right. So, um, you know, and then the style of the companies that they came from further together is is another one of our core values, and. Um, you know, if a company, if someone's not used to working in a collaborative and it's kind of doggy dog, that's not going to go well for, yeah. with us either. So those are, those are, and, and then hard skills. I mean, at this point, you know, we're very, we're very, very highly selective on who we, who, because we could be, as we grow, we're, we're able to be more and more highly selective. So, you know, we really are highly selective and we have a very tough interview process. What kind of a questions do you ask? You have, you have a favorite interview question that you'll hit somebody well, with? Yeah. I mean, we break it up. So different people are responsible for different, um, you know, for different parts, like ferreting out different aspects of the, of the candidate. Um, so we, we have a, a, a you know, a, we have a, a very, we have a more elaborate process. We have at least three people are interviewing and then we do a series of um, group interviews. I don't actually, I can't, I want to say we, we, I have some fun questions, but that's not, I, my most important thing is, you know, if a person is like at least a couple years into their, into their career, you know, three plus, have they been promoted? Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's an important thing for me. Um, yeah. and why they got promoted. Um, how long have they been in a job? You know, that, that's really important to me too. Um, so how long have they been in a job? Have they gotten promoted? Um, and then, you know, there's, there's certain questions that I want to ask that are, that are, that are really meant to, um, you know, get underneath the, the, the hood, such as, um, you know, it, what, what would you, what, what you know, Brant, what would we find out about you in three months that we don't always already know mm. about you today? Cause it's, we're going to find out what, so what, what is it going to be? And <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what, how people, you know, answer those yeah. type of questions. Yeah. Get some thinking on their feet. 
Well, Kelly, our time has flown by, but we always have one last question we always ask our CEO guests, and that's, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who, you know, maybe like you has had a corporate career for a number of years, kind of gets that entrepreneurial itch and uh, decides that they need to have their own corner office? All right. Well, I'm going to give you an answer that maybe, maybe isn't something, maybe it is, maybe it's something you haven't heard. My, my suggestion is, well, besides the, the obvious, which is you got to go for it. Um, I would say um, who you decide to partner with has a massive impact on the outcome of your career, uh, if, especially if you're going to be a high-performing uh, individual, man or woman. Um, so who, who you partner with is, you know, is 50% of the battle. If you're not with the right partner, um, having a high performing career is very, very difficult. So, um, choosing who your partner is, is, um, job one for anybody or Mm -hmm. making sure that you've got the right partner as job before you go into, um, either an entrepreneur journey or, or a job that requires an inordinate amount of your personal time or a marriage for example yeah make sure make sure you've got the right partner (laughs) yeah that's a good partnership too yeah awesome awesome things love love that answer kelly thornton's an entrepreneur that values creativity hard work honesty people and data he's also the founder and ceo of teach hannity kelly thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office thank you sir Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.